Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Well, good morning. For the second week in a row, uh, we, are, we are gifted with the character of John the Baptist to explore. Last week, if you were here in worship, uh, we, we heard the, 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 the part of the story where John is at the River Jordan, and he's calling people from all over the region to come to those waters, to get in the river, and to be baptized, to repent. He's calling out um, this message like a prophet would. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. One who is greater than I is coming after me. So get ready. Get ready. Today, in Matthew chapter 11, a few chapters later in Matthew's gospel, John is in prison at this point, and the disciples, uh, and John is curious about this one who has come, Jesus. Is this really the one we've been waiting for? And so he sends word to Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus sends word back, telling them, just tell John what you hear and see. The deaf hear, the blind see, the dead are raised. Good news is brought to the poor. Bring that word to John. But then Jesus goes on to say that no one born of women, no human being born on this earth, has arisen to to greater prominence than John the Baptist. But even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And it got me thinking this week, what is it about John that Jesus thinks is so great? Why is John the greatest among those born among women? And to fully understand what John was doing, John's ministry, we have to have some context for the Hebrew people. It's important for us to understand and to remember some of the history of the Hebrew people because it will highlight and illustrate the significance, the power, the importance of what John was doing in his ministry. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, we encounter a man named Abram. And Abram is living in the land of his father, And one day, God comes and God speaks to Abram and says, Abram, I want you to take your wife, Sarai, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. How vague is that, right? In your old age, Abram, I want you to ask your wife to to get the things together and to go, to go on a journey. And Abram, I will promise you three things. Number one, God promises to Abram and Sarai, who God changes their names to Abraham and Sarah, that you, you will be parents to a great nation. The name is changed from Abram to Abraham, indicating father of of many nations, father of many peoples. The first promise God makes is that, that through the two of you, even though you're childless right now, In your old age, you will be parents to a great nation. The second promise God makes 
is that you will have land to live on. You won't be wandering peoples your whole life. You will have land that, that, that you will enter, that you will possess, that your descendants and their descendants can live upon. And the third promise that God makes with Abraham is that through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. How beautiful is that? All the way back at Genesis chapter 12, we see God's desire, God's longing to bless all peoples, everyone who walks over the face of the earth. And that through Abraham and through Sarah, that blessing would come, right? This is what we refer to as the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant with Abraham. Through you, you will be a father and a mother to a great nation. You'll have land to possess and live upon. And third, through you, all peoples will be blessed. Now let's recall how that unfolds. Abraham and Sarah end up having a child. What is that child's name? Isaac. Isaac. Clearly the Bible scholars come to 830 because last night at 5 o'clock it was like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Isaac. They have Isaac, right? And then Isaac, the story continues through Isaac. Isaac has two, two sons. Who are those sons? Jacob and Esau. Loud and proud, that's right. Jacob and Esau. And who's born first, Jacob or Esau? Esau's the oldest, and yet we know that that younger brother, Jacob, is a little bit of, of a scoundrel, and he tricks his father, Isaac, to giving him uh, the birthright. So the covenant, the covenantal promise is now going to flow through the youngest of the two sons. Shouldn't have happened that way, but that's how it unfolded. And Jacob, Jacob ends up, his name is changed from Jacob to Israel, which means God wrestler. And Jacob ends up having 12 sons. That's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And the two of the youngest sons, um, Joseph and Benjamin, right? They're sons through Rachel. So Jacob has favor with them because he really loved Rachel. He had four wives. We won't go there, right? <laughs> But Joseph is given a special ability to interpret dreams. And Joseph has a dream that his brothers, his older brothers, are bowing down to him. And Joseph is foolish enough to tell his brothers that, right? Hey, big brothers, guess what? I had a dream. It was awesome. All of you were bowing down to me, and I was greater than all of you. My, my stock was higher than your stocks, and... It was, it was a really great dream, guys. I, I just wanted to share that with you. And so the brothers get angry with Joseph, and they throw him in a pit. Uh, they, they, they pretend like he was devoured by a wild beast. They bring that story back to their father. They pretend to be grieving that, that Joseph had died when a caravan of wandering peoples grab Joseph, and they carry him off to the land of Egypt. But somehow, some way, Joseph rises to prominence in Egypt. It's a really good taskmaster. And he has, uh, he continues to interpret dreams. He interprets the dream of, of Pharaoh. 
and he warns the Pharaoh of an impending famine that will eventually come upon the land. Seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh takes Joseph and he puts him in charge of all of his estate to plan for the impending doom of a famine. Now fast forward a few years and Joseph's brothers and father and family who are not living in Egypt are starting to feel the effects of the famine. And so they hear that there is a steward who's in charge of Pharaoh's land and responsibilities and and all of the crops and the grain. And so they send a a cohort to go and plead with Pharaoh and this steward to to get some grain and to get some help. Joseph recognizes them and eventually, eventually they reconcile. And all of Joseph's brothers and families come to live in Egypt. And that's how the Hebrew people started to enter into Egypt. And that's how the book of Genesis ends. Exodus begins this way. And there was a new Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. Uh Uh-oh. And this new Pharaoh became fearful because the Hebrew people started to outnumber or rival the numbers of the Egyptians, the native Egyptians. And so this new Pharaoh was afraid that they would overpower the local people. And so what did the the, the Pharaoh do? He enslaved the Hebrew people in Egypt. Then we have the story of Moses, a burning bush. And somehow, some way, Moses gets the people um, released from Egypt. And you remember that story, right? They're being released from Egypt and they go and Pharaoh's army is chasing them and they've got to cross the Red Sea and they cross the Red Sea and they're singing and they're dancing on the other side and then they have to go through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Up until this point, two of the promises, the Abrahamic covenantal promises have come true. Number one, a great nation has been formed. And now they're on their way to the promised land, the land that God had promised for them to to live on. And as they make their way through the wilderness, and as they make their way into the Holy Land, they have to cross what to enter into the Holy Land? The desert, they have to cross what river? They have to cross the Jordan River in order to enter into the Holy Land. And so here, years and years and years later, we find John the Baptist, whom Jesus says is the greatest born among women, who goes to the Jordan River, and he calls people to repentance. Now what was John really doing? You see, the first promise had come to pass. There was a great nation. The second promise had come to pass. There was land to live on. But the third promise that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through the Hebrew people had not fully come to pass. And John is a prophet who recognizes that the Hebrew people have lost sight, that the blessings they had received were not their own. And so John is saying, we need to start over. We need to get back in the waters of the Jordan River. We need to enter back into these waters. We need to turn towards God. And we need to remember whose we are and what our calling is. 
And after you enter these waters of the Jordan, we need to go back into the Holy Land with a renewed mind, with a renewed way of thinking of why it is that we exist. Repent. Change your mind. Change your outlook. And let's go back into that city. Right? The Hebrew people had forgotten who they were and why they existed. They weren't not only blessing all nations and all peoples, they were taking advantage of the poor in their midst. The temple had become the the banking center of society. It had not been a house of prayer. It was transformed into a place where money changers were changing money and doves were sold and lambs were sold and, and prices were jacked up and innocent everyday people who were trying to make a sacrifice and offering to God were taken advantage of. The poor in society were looked down upon by the elite and the wealthy. They had forgotten their purpose that God had made them into a great nation and had given them a land to live on, not for their own benefit, but to be a blessing to everyone else. And so John says, we've got to get back in the water. We've got to remember our story. Sounds a little bit like us, doesn't it? Now for us, as Christians the waters of the Jordan River don't have the same significance. But we have waters too. The water of baptism. It's the font where you and I are named and claimed as children of God. And where sin, death, and everything that defies God is drowned. And as we come up out of those waters, we're raised to new life. We're given our true identity as children of our Heavenly Father. And we take up the mission that Jesus had on earth to be a blessing to all peoples. Let's look back briefly at Matthew 11, this exchange, word going back from Jesus to John and John to Jesus. Jesus lifts John up as the greatest. Why was he the greatest? Because he was reminding the people that they were called to be a blessing. But John is still curious. Is this the Messiah? Is this the one we've longed for? And what does Jesus tell his disciples to say to John? Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news brought to them. Go and tell John that the third promise of the Abrahamic covenant is coming to pass through me. The promise of being a blessing to all peoples is coming to bear fruit. You see, I think that Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill for the people what the people could not fulfill for themselves. Because people like the ancient Hebrew peoples and like you and I, we constantly turn these blessings God has given us and we constantly turn them inward. We think that these are blessings for us and us alone. And Jesus came to show us, to remind us that the blessings God gives are, de- are meant to be a blessing for others. So you be the judge, John. Does it sound like the kingdom's breaking in? 
The deaf can hear, the blind can see, the dead are raised, good news is brought to the poor. You be the judge, John, for the kingdom of heaven is breaking in. It's breaking in. And so John's message is timely, isn't it? The time is now. Come to these waters. Remember who you are. The time is now. The one is coming, and now the one has come. So let's wake up. Let's get immersed in these waters, and let's remember why we exist. Let's remember that we are loved, that God has always come through with God's promises. And let us live with new perspective. Let us live as those servant peoples who desire to bless all people. So today, for our activity out of the sermon, Mike, if you'd throw this up, it's already there. I invite you to reflect on God's faithfulness to you throughout your life. But don't, don't fear that you need to reflect long. If you're anything like me, we can name those blessings that God has given us. And with those blessings in mind, I invite you to make your way, as you are able, to the font. Get back in these waters to dip a finger in the font and to trace the sign of the cross on your forehead. And as you make your way from the font back to your seat, may you be filled with good courage, knowing that God is using you and will always use you to fulfill God's promises. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.